Hello, Sobertown. Welcome to the Sobertown podcast. Let's jump on that sober train and ride right into the incredible, wonderful world of sobriety. Sobertown is a growing community of like-minded people in recovery, helping others start or maintain their sobriety. We refer to ourselves as sober warriors because the fight against addiction is a, is a grisly battle that takes no prisoners. Real people die every day from complications, repercussions of long-term alcohol use, a tragic end that is 100% preventable through increased awareness and connection. I just want to mention real quick, SilvertownPodcast.com. We have tons of amazing resources there. So just go over there and check that out too. And then today we have with us, we have E. We're going to be talking about sexual addictions today. And E, you were a sex addict for 25 years. You went through four bouts of cocaine use. Is that right? Four different uh, bouts with cocaine. But you have a sex addiction sobriety date of uh, May 27th, 2019. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. You're a professional musician, a father, a grandfather. You love applying your out- outdoors and fitness to your recovery, meditation. You like good food, relationships with your higher power. So that when I see higher power, that means you probably you're a 12 stepper. Um, you know, I, I use that that um, phrase uh, because there's lots of addicts out there who are just afraid of the word God. So, uh, you know, I leave that open so they can fill in the space themselves. You know, and I've used the 12 steps, lots of different modalities, you know, and they're all helpful. And that's uh, what you guys are doing in Denver, too. You guys aren't just using one recovery system and you're letting everybody Whatever works for you for abstinence with whatever addiction it may be, whatever works for you, right? That's right. The individual. Exactly. And you you love helping others with sex addiction, which brings us to you have a, a Facebook account, Overcoming Sex Addiction. And that's on Facebook. And it's a private group, right? It is a private group. So uh, if you you know are thinking about uh, reaching out somehow or you want to know more about it, go to that group. It is private. Um, so you can rest assured that your anonymity is, is protected. And then they would what, check in with you in the group and one of you or you have other members that help with that? Well, I do. There's about six or seven different admins and uh, we all monitor that. There's a few questions you have to answer, uh, but nothing, nothing, you know, it's not like you, you, you qualify, you know what I mean? There, there's right, none of that. Right, you know, right. like, we, we just got to understand a few things, you know, we, we gotta, just got to make know. sure everybody's safe. That's coming right. to, the, to the space is what it is. Exactly. Yep. And, but then you have other resources too. You want to explain some of those resources? You know, I like sharing my resources and I, and I hope today's uh, podcast can be, you know, a place of sharing in the future as well. Definitely overcoming sex addiction, you know, on Facebook is a great place to share your struggles, your triumphs, and everything in between, whether it be sobriety or recovery. You know, we celebrate, you know, small little things, victories, and then we all come together, you know, as a community, you know, when people are struggling. Okay, so I also uh, encourage a book called TINSA. Uh, It's T-I-N-S-A, and it's a trauma-induced sexual addiction. Just understanding the uh, kind of the neuro side of addiction, what it does to our brains, right, and our nervous system and, um, and such. I really read this book and it really helped me uh, because sometimes, you know, we do have questions beyond our spirituality, what it does to our body, what it does to our behaviors. Uh, so this was a really good book. <laughs> when you get, as you get to know me, 
I'm all about the neuroscience. And I was just talking today about the prefrontal cortex to people and, and how addiction hijacks prefrontal cortex to where you're, you lose your critical thinking and you can't even make executive decisions anymore. That's right. When you lose that ability, but you're also using some, some 12 steps in there too. You know, I was never really a big 12 stepper, you know, but, but um, the guru, the grandfather of sex addiction literature, you know, Patrick Carnes, I like what he said about, you know, 12 stepping. One of the great things about it is that it gets the brain talking to each other, you know, as well as being in community, right? Lots of different, you know, reasons, uh, you know, as well, you know, spiritual community, all those things, but He's right, you know, getting the brain to, to kind of start firing, start talking to each other. That, that's been a great source of help for me. You also do what? Sunrise, sunsets? That's really, you know, kind of relates to my spiritual you know, life. And, and really, really what I'm saying there is, you know, taking living a life where, hey, you know what? Lots of things are important, but uh, my spirituality, you know, comes first. You know, my recovery and my spirituality comes first. And I'm going to do what I need to do to uh, maintain that, to manage it, to protect it and, and to increase it. So did, uh, did you notice yeah. in your, in your addiction that you were separated from that sp- spirituality? Yes, I did. It was kind of a counterfeit, you know, uh, thing. Cause I, I would meditate during when I was a sex addict, an active sex addict, I would meditate and I would do good things for myself, you know, and I would feel good. I, I would feel like, wow, you know, I, I'm, I'm getting somewhere. And, and I was, but I couldn't achieve, you know, total, you know, a, a more positive connection or more meaningful connection with my spirituality because I was in addiction. Right. And right. it was only yeah. afterwards when, when I reached sobriety that I was reaching high levels of, of uh, peace uh, and joy. Now, you know, there's definitely hard days for sure. You know, you know, I, I want to be very clear about that, but yes, after sobriety, uh, it definitely increased. Yeah. So, E, I'm really excited to hear part of your story. You want to you want to start? Sure, sure. So, um, I'm originally from a small town in Texas. Uh, I was raised Southern Baptist, and I come from a very small uh, Hispanic family. And um, there was lots of abuse, lots of physical and verbal abuse from both my parents. I witnessed some very horrible things, you know, uh, from my parents. And I witnessed my siblings getting physically abused and verbally and emotionally abused uh, very often. And I remember, you know, one day I, I said, you know what, that's not going to happen to me, you know, and my father was about to you know, beat the hell out of me one day. And um, I said, you know, if you, if you touch me again, I'm calling the cops on you. Well, I have a very well-known father. Um, he was labeled kind of a leftist political activist back in the 60s and 70s. And, and this was Southern Texas, by the way. And uh, the police knew who he was, the FBI, you know, all those people, they, they knew who he was. And he, he was labeled a, a political agitator. And he knew that I knew that. <laughs> so <laughs> it was, you know, and of course, back then, um, you know, the, the police were the Klan, you know, the, the FBI were the Klan, you know, and uh, it was the one time in my life I was in total alignment with the Ku Klux Klan <laughs> because we had to get this son of a bitch. <laughs> and, um, you know, he didn't he didn't spank me, you know, and uh, I learned, you know, kind of like, hey, I can kind of take care of myself. And those people over there, my sister, my brother, my mom, my dad, 
they're, you know, they're kind of fucked up, right? I, I'm not like them. And um, I don't have to worry about them. So kind of the uh, early stages of a child's mentality, doing the best he can, you know, to, to survive and to survive the, the abuse that was going on. And, uh, but some very ugly habits too. Like, uh, it doesn't really apply to me. You know, the, the you know, I'm not like them. Right. So, um, the other thing that, that really kind of sticks out in my childhood is, um, when I was about five or six years old, I would go to school every day. And, um, back then, if you were a good kid, you'd get to, you know, do little errands for the office. Right. And my mom worked in the office and so did my, my, uh, babysitter. So every day I would go to, you know, school and hopefully they would call me. And the reason I would hope for that is because they would call me and this little girl. Okay. She was older than me. She was like a year or two older than me. And, um, they would give us these little notes to go walk around and give to the teachers or whatever. But as soon as we got out of eyes reach, you know, like, you know, the, the, uh, the view of uh, the teachers or, or the, the staff from the office, I'll never forget it. <clears throat> this little girl would pull me into like a bathroom or a cove and just start to, you know, kiss me, fondle me, all these things. And uh, to a kid who was growing up in a very abusive home, you know, it was like, man, I found something really good here, you know. And um, so it went on that way for about a year, year and a half. And I, I think uh, definitely the early seeds of uh, sex addiction were planted there, you know, right? The, the, tor- the turmoil going on in the home and this wonderful thing that would happen to me at school. And um, she was older than me, which I've uh, throughout my whole life, I've always been attracted to older women. And um so the, the early seeds. Um, so the next thing, uh, my, my mother, um, at a very early age, uh, she came down, she, uh, was diagnosed with cancer and it took her about five years to die, you know, and a very slow, horrible death. And again, as a child, you know, watching her, watching her die from seven to 12, I am doing the best I can to cope. And, um, I start to become a little disconnected, right? Already more than I already was, uh, find ways to stay home. And at 10 or 11 years old, I start, uh, buying drugs. The reason I I started buying drugs at 10 or 11 is because my mom was the treasurer at church. (laughs) So when she would come home with all the cash, I would steal the cash, go buy lots of pot, which was really cheap back then and sell it at school. So, um, um, becoming more and more disconnected uh, until the day that she died. I think that was a really um, just kind of a traumatic day for me. You know, um, the realization that I don't have a mom. And of course, as the years go by, not having a mother figure there. And the years that I did have a mother figure, very, she was um, very violent towards my father and towards my sister. Not, not so much me. Uh, and in fact, I don't think she ever was violent towards me. Um, but having a very erotic, I'm sorry, er, er, erratic, <laughs> erratic uh, role model for a mother. Um, and sure enough, that's the type of uh, female that I pursued all through my teenage years. Um, and uh, in my uh, teenage years, you know, I was already playing guitar and quite well. And that's how I got along in school. You know, I, I got to fit in very quickly. 
uh, when we moved to Denver from Texas. And of course, drugs uh, came along with that. And by 17, I was, uh, I was already a Coke addict. Uh, back then, Coke was free. Sex was basically free. Um, you know, I mean, it just didn't, it wasn't hard to, you know, to, to find sex. Alcohol was free. Um, I went through a couple of, you know, for a very young man, I mean, a very co- couple of horrible, you know, relationships, just absolutely horrible relationships. Um, you know, already some domestic violence issues in there, uh, definitely drug issues, uh, and very promiscuous lifestyles on both me and, you know, the, the women that I are the teenagers that I dated when I was a teenager. <laughs> okay. You know, that went on and I tried to get clean and I did get clean from cocaine. Um, at the age of God, I think I was 19. And then, um, I did end up meeting someone who, um, became, um, my daughter's mother and I uh, had a child. I remember back then, you know, it was the eighties rock and, you know, you go to your clubs and cocaine and booze was everywhere. You know, sex was, was really not that hard to come by, you know? And, um, but I also, you know, I, I didn't want to do drugs anymore. I wanted to be a good dad. And, um, I started to make some changes and, uh, I decided to take my ex to court and I, I had to make some really quick changes. Um, I was a little mad at women, you know, for sure. You know, uh, or I thought it was right. My, my addiction was, was doing that. And, um, the courts wanted me to see, wanted to see me have a, a nice place or a, a you know, a place, you know, where my daughter could, uh, come. And, um, and of course, uh, the eighties rock was just going by the downside. I mean, it was just going away and, uh, the grunge was coming back in, couldn't find a miniskirt anywhere, <laughs> you know, and oh, everyone's in the and you know some flannels and everything and i like to say that that i didn't know but i knew i knew you know where i wanted to move and uh i moved to capitol hill which is a notorious um a very notorious area you're talking about seattle capitol hill uh denver oh is there a cap- there's one there too wow there's a capitol hill denver and uh and, and through the middle of it is a, a a street called the wickedest street in america it's called colfax and um, I was primed, you know, to begin my my sexual addiction, and that's exactly what happened. Uh, I began to use sex workers on on Colfax, and um, you know what? I've thought about it many times. You know, I was hooked. You know, just like you know, the first time I did crack. You know, I mean, I was just hooked. I mean, this is easy. I can buy this, get get my what I thought was affection and love, and um, I don't have to put up with all the nonsense of her relationships or, or what I thought was nonsense. And, um, that's, and that's exactly. when you, so you were around 19 when this, well, no, no, no. at this time, I'm sorry. At this time I am 24 or 25 years old. So with yeah. custody of your daughter, uh, joint custody of my daughter. Just, okay. Yeah. And, um, and I don't mean just every once in a while. I had my, my kid lot, you know, lots of the time, you know, I was, I was a pretty good dad. Uh, I could have been better, you know, if I wasn't in, in the midst of my addiction. Um, just prior to that, I had one more bout with cocaine. It was my second bout with cocaine, but, but I, I quit pretty quick. And um, so now um, there was a lot of the, the things that especially sex addicts go through. Hey, it's okay. I'm not really doing anything wrong. I'm just a guy. I have a high sex drive. 
you know, I've been hurt or whatever it is. And women, you know, not that women really buy sex, but they'll go through the same kind of justification. You know, I'm hurt, you know, um, you know, men are pigs or whatever it is. You know, there's always a justification there for addiction. Were, were you identifying it back then as a sexual addiction? No, not yet. No, not yeah. not quite. Yeah, yeah. I think um, all the foundation was really being laid out because like, man, I, I have a sexual encounter and I felt better, you know, you know, for a week or two weeks, you know, maybe even longer. And uh, I mean, I was using sex workers quite a bit, you know, probably two or three times a week. In addition to that, I was also very promiscu- promiscuous with women that I dated. That went on for a number of years. I mean, just a, a number of years until about uh, 1999 or so. And I did get married. And I, you know, I, um, it was really a wonderful experience, you know, I thought, you know, but I wasn't honest about my sexual addiction. I had already been a sex addict for, uh, for what, five years or so, four or five years. And that's a big part of addiction, right? You know, coveting, hiding, you know, not being totally honest. And although there was plenty of sex in the marriage and uh, great sex and someone loved me and I wasn't acting out during that time, the addiction eventually came back, you know, those unresolved issues that are there. And uh, I started developing just a lot of amount of uh, uncomfortableness being in the relationship, anxiety, started losing my, you know, like my responsibilities, like not working. Um, I owned a business at, uh, at the time, which was right near a truck stop. <laughs> and of course, there's plenty of sex workers there. Um, and uh, the marriage started falling apart. I mean, it just really did. Financial problems uh, to the point where it is exactly what happened. It just fell apart. It wasn't much longer. You know, I think I think within two months, I was already uh, using again. It, um, it kind of escalated because... I was basing my encounters with sex workers based on a certain scenario with my former wife. And it was based on, it was a a loving and an affectionate and sexual, you know, uh, scenario. So it was all those things. And that's how I would continue my scenario with these sex workers. And that went on for a number of years. It was, it was a little generic, you know, in terms of, um, it hadn't quite escalated yet, but it was there. It was reminiscent of my wife, for sure, or my ex-wife. So here comes my fourth bout with cocaine. I, I didn't mention my third one because it was, it was very brief, uh, but very intense. But yes, I had finally had a fourth bout with, uh, with cocaine. And during any of this, had you identified? Yes. And, and here's where that comes in. So one of the sex workers, uh, she was a former, um, um, you know, stripper, dancer, exotic dancer, whatever you want to call her, escort and Coke dealer. And um, it was the first time that I really saw, you know, addictive behaviors um, with someone. So she had a scenario as well. And she would come over and we would fit each other's fantasies, right? And um, not only that, she was uh, turning me on to her friends too. So I was having sex with, I mean, just constantly, probably four, five, six, seven times a week. Um, and it was there where I really saw sex addiction in front of me. Like she, she would come over, do her thing. 
uh, at the point of this, you know, a certain point, she would also ingest, um, you know, some, uh, some crack, you know, or she would smoke some crack. Uh, well, let's just say it at the point of her climax, she would, you know, uh, you know, uh, smoke crack. And I began to realize, I was like, wow, this is what sex addiction is. During that time, I ran across some meth users and meth users are notorious for, you know, becoming sex addicts. And so I saw all those things and I, I realized, you know what, I'm, I am a sex addict. Um, right around that time in life, you know, I kind of gave up on, um, you know, a couple of things about myself and I, I didn't care. I, you know, I, I didn't care anymore. The guilt and the shame was there as well. And um, the addiction escalated where I was now like um, pretending these women were my ex-wife and they were saying things to me that my ex-wife would say. And I would say things to them. I would say to my ex-wife and uh, the fantasy, right? The mind is starting to just spiral out of control. Um, so yeah, yeah, I, I saw that for sure. And then all the elements of sex addiction really start to play out. Now, what I'm about to tell you, I, I always tell a shock and awe story, um, and it's very important. I, I feel it's really important to tell this story. <clears throat> um, and I'm going to come back to later on, and you'll, you'll see why. So one time I was uh, out there looking for a sex worker, uh, and uh, I was on my lunch break, and um, I'm cruising up and down the street, and I see one. And she's kind of off to the side, off the main boulevard a little bit kind of like near some run down, you know, little, uh, apartments. So I circle around and, and, uh, a few times I was very careful. I never got caught by the way. Um, and finally I, I pull over and she sees me, I see her and she starts to come out <clears throat> or she starts to walk towards my car. And as she starts to walk, a little girl, probably five or six years old comes running out of the door and starts to pull her hand. And the sex worker turns around and walks her back inside and comes back out and towards my truck. The same thing happens again. The little girl comes out, the sex worker walks her back inside the door, and it happens one more time. And of course, the sex worker walks her back. This time, the little girl didn't come out. And uh, the sex worker hops in my car, and I go do what I do. Okay. <sighs> On the way back, the, um, the sex worker somewhere in the conversation tells me that um, she's had a child about um, a month and a half to two and a half months before. I forget what she said. That is definitely one of the times, one of the many times uh, where, you know, guilt and shame, you know, and the horror of, of what sex addiction really is, you know, uh, starts to, to lay, lay its claws into me, you know totally dehumanizing myself and another human being, you know, and other human beings actually. So um, I'll, I'll come back to that story as well here in a little bit. And there's a reason why I, I, uh, I did that. So if you remember um, what I said early on about my childhood, when I said those people over there are fucked up, I'm not. That's one of the, the interesting things about sex addiction is that you can hide it for a long, long time. You don't get the swollen face, right, from alcoholism. You don't get the runny nose and the loss of weight from heroin or Coke or, you know, all those things. And you can hide it. So I think I mentioned to you that my brother 
was a street alcoholic and, and drug addict. And, um, you know, there were many times I saw him down the, down the boulevard, you know, you know, drunk on the side of the street. Um, and I never, I never bothered to go help him. You know, I, here I am playing, you know, I had a, a really good life, you know, from the outside and I'm cruising down to look for sex workers. And there's my brother, you know, strung out or on Capitol Hill. Yeah, Capitol Hill, uh, uh, West Colfax, East Colfax, and the middle, which is Capitol Hill, all up and down that street, because there's a lots of uh, crack motels, and um, so that's where you your know, brother hung out was down. Yeah, exactly. You know, and um, that was there. You know, and I never bothered to help him. You know, and there I was, and he didn't. He, of course, he was too, you know, um, you know, intoxicated to to notice I was driving by. You know, but um, but that was there. So so anyway. So this is your older brother, older brother. Yeah, he, he did. He ended up uh, ODN uh, on Colfax, actually. Um, so I dealt with my fourth cocaine habit, knocked it out, weaned myself off of cocaine. And I kind of wondered, I kind of wondered why my life wasn't really getting better, you know, because uh, I was like, well, man, I'm, you know, I'm not doing cocaine. And I guess it did improve. But, uh, you know, I, in total in total denial, right? you know, that I'm a sex addict. And the reason why your life is not improving is because I am a sex addict. Right. Well, so, let's, um, let's talk about that yeah. for a minute with the sex addiction, because we know in our uh, substance addictions that we wake up with a guilt, shame, remorse. And every day we're, we're like, okay, I'm not going to do this anymore. This isn't who I want to be. Did, did you encounter that same, those same scenarios? So this time frame that I'm talking about right now, where my, where my brother died and, and those type of things, is um, uh, 2010, uh, 2011. So no, and, and here's one of the reasons why. My brother, when he died, left me a ton of money. And what that did to my sex addiction for the next few years, uh, it escalated it. So I'm going to get to your so, question. So your brother yeah. wasn't just a homeless guy. No. No, he, he, he had money and yeah, he worked, he worked, but he, that's where he chose to live. You know, like he would, he would just live in the crack motels and he'd live on the street. He'd live in, in the uh, homeless shelters, but he worked. And, and so sometimes, you know, it'd be a year of just total dysfunction. And sometimes it'd be a year, year and a half where he showed up to work every day, you know, uh, but he always struggled. And um, so he leaves me that money and, um, you know, I decide to go back to school late in life and uh, I'm carrying my, my addiction around. And uh, with that much, with that much kind of money, I mean, definitely, uh, you know, I, I could uh, even increase my addiction and the substance of my addiction. Right. Um, the fantasy grew where um, I didn't really look for streetwalkers. I looked for what they call this is a I hope this is not a derogatory term, but regulars. OK, where. I could, uh, it was like, I pretended they were in love with me and I was in love with them. And I really thought that I was getting affection. And, um, coincidentally enough, one of the biggest things about sex addictions is that you think it's about you receiving affection and love through sex. And here's where a lot of sex, sex addicts go wrong. Or they, they, they don't realize that it's also about the fantasy of you being worthy of giving love and affection and intimacy, right? I was, I was no different, you know? 
So um, I would say uh, my addiction just carried on that way. You know, it escalated. You know, I was involved with these women and I, I thought they really loved me. I thought I really loved them. And I tried to do things that, that you know, uh, I guess a boyfriend would do, you know. I went on for a number of years. Uh, when I left school, I found a really good job, a really good job. And I was making really good money. And I continued my, my, um, my addiction. But about a year, year and a half later into that job, I began to experience those things that you're talking about at a level that I had not experienced before. <clears throat> One, I was starting to have the depression and guilt you know, and shame. I was a little reclusive. I was having, I was having homosexual thoughts too. And I was like, well, I'm not a homosexual. You know, I, I've never have been. And I've heard about addictions going here or going there. And it was alarming. The other thing that I started to experience were violent thoughts, you know, uh, especially if I couldn't control the situation, because sometimes these women were rather high or, um, they're very wasted on drugs, right? Or both. And that was alarming. That was very alarming to me. And uh, food binges, quite a few food binges, either before or after sex. And um, all that put together, uh, depression, suicidal thoughts, it was uh, quite a wake-up call. And I couldn't function anymore. I couldn't, I couldn't show up to work. You know, I didn't want to do anything. The, the depression was debilitating. I couldn't get out of bed. And uh, no, no amount of sex was, was fixing it anymore. You know, it just, it just wasn't doing it. You know, so uh, that's when I decided to get help. Uh, well, no, uh, right around that same time, I had a, a friend of mine. Uh, I call him my mentor. And uh, he, that person was struggling with uh with a sex addiction as well but not not mine uh, it was pornography and uh but he did tell me about a group and uh, it had all kinds of different sex addicts in there so thank god that person told me that because about a year and a half later um when i finally broke down i did seek help and i did seek that group out and i did seek a therapist and uh that was um like november 13th 2018 I began to seek help. Just the three months of um, going through withdrawals. I, I don't call them withdrawals. I call them, I call it the 90 days of torment in my life. You know, I had been through withdrawals with cocaine. You know, I know what that is. But this was something totally different. Well, totally, it's, totally different. It's, it's, all, it's all mental. Yeah. There, there's no substance involved here. It's all mental. Well, and there's a, it's a chemical in your brain, right? And I remember waking up, like, let's say I was sleeping on my side and I'd wake up and start walking around throughout my day. I could literally feel like the chemicals, like kind of floating back to the other side of my head. You know what I mean? And, you know, that's what it felt like to me anyway. And I was like, wow, you know what, this is like really, really strange, you know? And, um, you know, if, if someone wants to call it withdrawals, that's fine. But it was the most agonizing time in my life you know i um i definitely relapsed numerous times you know and um during that period i had a lot of horrible things go wrong in my life i almost od'd on ativan one night one day and then um i started to kind of come out of it a little bit so 
I want to say it was about April of, uh, or it was April of 2019. I was done, man. I, I was, you know, just about done. I was like, man, I can't go on like this. I'd rather just get it done with and live a lot, you know, start living in recovery. <clears throat> so I hadn't acted out in a, in a while, but one day I, I pulled a muscle on my back and uh, <laughs> I was like, you know what? In my arrogance, right. In my denial, I'm going to call someone, you know, a former sex worker right, or a sex worker, and I'm just going to get a massage. That's it. That's all I'm going to do, you know, because I don't have a hundred bucks for a massage. Right. You know, and uh, so but back in February, prior to April or prior to May, of course, I'd bought I had bought a cross to help me remember my faith. You know, like if, if I was on the brink of acting out, you know, or relapsing, I would hold this cross. Right. You know, <clears throat> and um course you know i relapsed many times anyway but what i would do is i would take off the cross and i would relapse and after it was all done i would put on the cross right i would put it back on so the last day that i relapsed when i pulled my muscle and um you know one thing led to another with this uh sex uh, sex worker when we're done i remember i'm putting on my clothes and as i kind of come up to you know pull my pants up I pull up and I'm face to face with the, my mirror in my bedroom and I had forgot to take off the cross. And I think I remember just this feeling of absolute nothingness, just nothing, you know, like, man, I, I've just given up everything again, you know, and I'm going to feel crappy for the next month or two, you know? <laughs> and uh, sometimes they were, you know, three weeks long, their depression, sometimes they were longer. But uh, that was the that was the last day that I relapsed, and um, that was 2019, May 27th, and uh, I just celebrated two two years and ten months yesterday. Wow! Congratulations, man. Thank you, thank you. And recovery, you know, man, that that's a whole new set of um, struggles, but also victories, and uh, lots of things going on there. So I'm in recovery now. It's not always a you know a pleasant day. But there's plenty of good days in there, and um, so I let's let's pretty, talk about yeah. that a little bit. You, sure. so you, you know, you had the cross, you saw the cross, and then that was your lapse, last relapse. Is that when you dove into your recovery? Yes, big time. Well, tell us a little I, bit about that. So I still had the same job, and I had, I was struggling. I mean, just struggling, even in recovery. And I needed some time. And, um, you know, I worked for a pretty big company and they offered leave of absences. So that's exactly what I did, man. I took, a, I think it was a five month leave of absence. And uh, I spent a lot of time up in the mountains, man. And um, there was a lot of tempting nights. And I had what they call emergency plans because I live in an area. Let me tell you something. I live in an area. I could literally walk out my door and probably see a sex worker. I still live in the same area. And it was tempting, man. I mean, just tempting. I mean, it's like a drug, you know, it's like a drug. And my escape plan was when that happens, I hop in my car, I call my mentor and I say, I'm headed out on the highway right now. And luckily I live within a mile of three major highways going into the mountains. And then I would go up there and uh, I would be in the mountains in, in 12 minutes, 13 minutes. That's where I kind of found, you know, a lot of my peace and a lot of my um, my spiritual connections and praying and meditating, crying like a baby, <laughs> you know. 
Well, I mean, uh, you had a lot of undealt things there. I mean, your mother died, everything that you dealt with, with the sex workers, it's another human beings involved. It's not just like alcohol. There's actually other human beings that are involved with that. Well, you were going to bring us back to the mother and the daughter. Okay. Okay. So, um, yeah. So when I reached sobriety, it, it was, it was really an interesting point. We are not designed to carry guilt and shame for that long. We're just not, you know, I think that's part of my message. And I'm sure any, any of our messages in the um, addiction community, recovery community, we're just not designed for that kind of guilt and shame. Uh, I couldn't carry it. I couldn't carry the guilt and shame of my brother. Uh, all the failures, right? Of a failed marriage, um, custody battle with my previous, you know, uh, relationship, uh, my drug addictions, personality flaws, all all those things. I just could not carry it anymore. You know, I know they say that you know you got to hit rock bottom. But, you know, I, I've, I've told my daughter before, you know what, you can learn from other people, you know, mistakes. I tend to be that person for my daughter, <laughs> you know. So, uh, you know, if you're out there and you're struggling with uh, any type of addiction, you know, hey, get, reach out, you know, pick up the phone, get some help because you're not designed for it. You know, you're not designed to carry this. And that's and, why we have these communities, E. Yep, exactly. Right? Absolutely. Uh, but the communities where we can release a lot of this guilt, yeah. shame, remorse. I couldn't do it on my own. E. I couldn't do it. You carrying that guilt, shame, and remorse for the mother and the daughter that drove you to, to what? Well, plus a hundred other, you know, a thousand, probably a dozen other things. Right. Um, you know, I begin to ask questions. And in fact, I've, I've thought about writing a book called um, uh, I want to call it faith by default. And here's why. Prior to me reaching sobriety, I started asking questions like, hey, why am I feeling this way? You know, sex is a good, good thing. I mean, I like it better than cocaine. I like it, you know, you know I like it better than skydiving, being on stage, you know, whatever it is. Um, how can something so good bring so much unhappiness, so much despair, so much horror in my life? And um, I used to think, well, this is a gift from God, right? Well, maybe this isn't God the way I'm using it. Uh, I don't think this is what God intended. I started asking those questions. And I also totally believe, just like any other addict and or alcoholic, you know, that God hated me, just fucking hated me. I just believed that without a doubt. He believed, you know, I just thought he hated me. He would never, you know, give me anything good in life. And um, I found out was, no, no, it's just the opposite. The addiction is is what wants to keep me, this force and the universe, this alternate force that wants to keep me down. And I had to really rethink my Southern Baptist, you know, upbringing. It's the counterfeit. Right, right. I had to really think my Southern Baptist, you know, upbringing. And that's why the shack, why I brought up the shack, you know, is so good because I I really kind of saw that, that that this person kind of had to re-experience his spiritual relationship with Christ. And it's exactly what happened with me too. So something, you know, you know, something saved me. God saved me. And I'll never forget that. So is you know? the shack a Christian based organization? It, oh, the shack is, is, is a movie. It's a movie called the shack and it's by William Young. And he, by the way, he also, uh, William Young also heads off kingdom works, which battles, uh, sexual addiction and porn, porn addiction. Uh, lots of great resources on kingdom works. Uh, I believe it's kingdomworks.org or kingdomworks.com. Um, you can find these resources for me and we'll put them in the, in, in the blurb. Yeah. 
So oh, in the shack, definitely in the shack you can find anywhere, YouTube, you know, anywhere. Okay. Um, but I really re-experienced re my spirituality. And um, I was like, no, 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 no. The universe loves me. God loves me. That's where I'm going to live from. That's what I've been doing for these past almost three years now. Man, your, your story could be substance abuse story, right? Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, it literally is. And then, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm just, as you're talking, I'm thinking about the prefrontal cortex, about how it's destroyed in addiction. Your judgment is lost. Your reasoning is lost. Your executive decisions are lost. The same thing with like substance abuse. It's almost like addiction is addiction is addiction. But you did tell me that there's a difference between sex and sexual addiction and food addiction. Well, no, food and sex are very somewhat similar. Oh, they're you know, similar. Somewhat similar. Okay, so as opposed to, uh, let's say, drug and alcohol. Okay, with drug and alcohol connection, and don't get me wrong, you know, I, I'm not saying any, anyone is easier or you know harder, but they're just different, right? One, most men or women who are who have, who have struggled with substance abuse, alcohol, at some point deal with some sort of sexually addictive issue anyway. Okay. To some degree for to some uh, amount of time. Okay. But you don't hear a lot about it, you know, in comparison to like AA or NA. So it's not talked about. And so a lot of times people will give up substance abuse, but they still struggle. Okay. So if you feel that way, you know, Hey, it's totally normal. Part of my message is, Hey, you know, that there are, there are resources out there for you. We'll talk more about that, of course. So but that would kind of be like a cross addiction in a way. Yeah. Well, it could be a cross addiction or even a primary addiction. You know what I mean? Like, you know, I, I was addicted to cocaine, but come to find out, Hey man, what, what really got me, you know, was, was sex. Sex. <laughs> yeah. You know, was that and, little uh, girl from the, from the office between classes that day is, you know, every day for yeah, you know, the, the rush. Right. And, and sure enough, I was still going down long corridors, finding women to take me in the, you know, discreet little places. Right. You know, uh, the sex addict can feel a little, uh, you know, a little like, uh, I don't know, discouraged because there's not a lot out there. Churches don't want to talk about it. Well, well, many churches don't. About 2% of all churches will, will bring it up. Uh, and they usually bring it up in the form of pornography. So the big picture is how does a sex addict work sex back into their life, right? When when it's alcohol or drugs, it's like, hey, we're not going to do drug drugs or alcohol. Right, right. You know, <laughs> you know. So how does, as a sex addict, how do I bring healthy sex back into my life? And I'm going to talk about my own life and how much of a struggle that's been. So how do we do that? That has been one of the most difficult journeys for me and for many sex addicts, actually, from what I gather, from what I read, to work, you know, healthy relationships, healthy sex back into our lives. So I'll give you an example of that. I recently, you know, ended a relationship and it was the, the first healthy relationship in my life ever. There was no toxicity. There was no drugs, no alcohol. This person was a recovered alcoholic. Um, awesome person, smart, funny, you know, generous, kind, beautiful, hot, you know, sexy, all those things. <laughs> you know, she, she just was, you know, um, but it was me, you know, I, I, I couldn't, I just don't know how to do it. You know what I mean? I don't know how to have healthy sex. And I didn't cut and run, you know, I, I worked through a lot of issues 
Uh, but in the end, I had to really look at myself and say, you know what, I need to learn some things still. And uh, it was a struggle. It was quite the struggle. Uh, I don't view it as a loss. I don't view it as you know, a tragedy. We both learned a lot. And uh, it, it is a very real struggle for sex addicts to bring healthy sex back into our lives. It's not easy. You know? And it takes some time. Yeah. And that's, that's something I never even thought of where I, I'm pure abstinence, keep it out of my life. That's something that you bring back into your life naturally. There were many times, like uh, I'll give you an example. My sex addiction was based on a, the scenario with my ex-wife, right? Okay. So is it okay for me to engage with that, with my girlfriend? Because it's what I like, right? It's based off affection and, and love, you know? And I tried that, you know, but it was quite the struggle. There were certain times where my girlfriend, and she didn't mean to, and, and she didn't know she was doing it, was like, like, just kind of like sexually verbatim doing the same things that sexual workers were doing to me, you know, and here in my mind going, whoa, what's going on? You know, because if my bottom line is no sex workers, right, or no sex with little intimacy, and I'm here I am having sex with my girlfriend, but my mind is in that same place. Is that a relapse? Right. You know, right. <laughs> yeah. You, and know, you have so, to, kept, you have to de decide right. wh what your boundaries are. And there were many times where I had to cut off sex, you know, and I, I had to tell her, no, 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 I can't do this. You know, or I'd be in tears, you know, I, uh, very uncomfortable, uh, guilt, you know, maybe feelings of like guilt and shame. Uh, I, I would work through the guilt and shame pretty quickly, you know, uh, I understand, you know, what's going on, but, but never, nonetheless, still a struggle. And I, I think with any addict. And, it, and, and at this point, you're, you're a couple of years into your recovery, right? Yes. Yes. And you've read some amazing books on the, uh, the neuroscience of addiction and yep. you've dug into this and yeah. at the same, and at the same time, you've created a, a community. So you were involved with all this as you're dealing with this with your, your, your girlfriend. Yeah. And, and um, here's where, um, you know, any type of addict and, you know, or alcoholic, you know, might throw their hands up in the air and just say, fuck it. I'm done. I'm going to go back to using or, Hey, I'm going to stay in this struggle and I'm just going to you know see what happens. And, and I did, I had done that for a year and a half or this relationship. Yeah. in this relationship, like I was, you know, I was just constant, in constant struggle, you know? Um, well, you're dealing and, with another person and her feelings too. Right. Right. Exactly. I mean, there's yeah. more involved than just a sex worker. This is a relationship, right? This is a real relationship health and a pretty healthy one at that, but I'm still struggling. It's like my first time being in a relationship and, you know, basically I've been single for all my life, you know what I mean? You know, right. plus I've been a sex addict for all my life. Cocaine. Yeah, but you're still hair. battling the, the demons that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Head. Right, yeah. right. Or I can live a life of um, celibacy and, you know, and, and uh, learn more, you know, continue to heal, continue to grow. And I thought about all three scenarios. I know many sex addicts who have thrown their hands up and say, you know what? I don't care anymore. I'm going to go use again. I wasn't going to do that. I couldn't continue in my relationship. Because you didn't feel what that you weren't true to yourself. I just felt like the, the struggle was 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 too constant. I mean, it was every day, you know. And and I hung in there. I was a good boyfriend. I showed up. I 
I was, you know, I, I was, um, I'm, I'm good at other forms of intimacy. You know, I, I'm, you know, I show up and I, you know, I, I speak the, you know, the, the other languages of love, you know, but, uh, sex was very difficult, you know, and I felt very uncomfortable in a relationship. So I finally did a lot of research on, um, and this is just me. Okay. I found, right. I did a lot of research on, you know, living a single spiritual life. And that's where I came to. Uh, that's where I'm at right now. Who knows, you know, five years, I might, you know, be in, you know, be okay to be in a relationship. But right now I take every day, day by day, and I try to make the most of it. And I try to stay spiritually connected all day long. Well, I just think that you're an amazing human E and what you're doing and the, the way that you're overcoming your demons to where you've even chose abstinence like we have, but that leaves you kind of lonely. Well, you know, and then here, and here's, here's where I, you know, I, I don't agree with that, you know, and I, I know you, you kind of mean that generally speaking, but I do. I know what happened to me in terms of a, a spiritual being, right. And I'll go ahead and say it. Christ save me. You know, I will never forget that. And I'll never be lonely because of that. That's you know? very, very cool. Yeah. So other people need to know, hear this too, that right. even though I guess you're almost like have this celibacy commitment to yourself right now, right? You're not yep. alone. I'm not alone. I have a daughter, I have grandkids, I have family, I have friends. So you can escape to solitude. Solitude, you're not like isolating. Solitude is a, a place where you can right. be alone by yourself. Well, with God. Right? And yeah, with yeah. God, yeah. Yep. I think that's, a, that's amazing. I think that's awesome. And I had no idea that we were going this direction too. And uh, yeah. <laughs> I love it. I love it. You, you know, I, I would love to, to, to say um, that there's, um, you know, that, that I would, that I just found love and everything was pretty much okay, you know, but uh, it's very common for sex addicts to struggle in relationships, any addicts, actually, any addicts or alcoholics, um, you know, it's very common because that's what it does. It separates us from relationships. So, um, well, that's addiction separates yeah. you from everything. It separated me from everyone I loved, family members, kids, and spiritual, spiritually. I knew that I was a dead man walking. I literally knew that I was a dead man inside walking. So, and I, I actually have the same beliefs as you, as far as Christ goes. And I, you know, it's too bad that more, more of a, more people can't just say what their higher power is. Everybody's got to use this, you know, yeah. arbitrary term. Yeah. So nobody else is offended. Well, I Christian values is what I grew up with. Yep. And then if somebody grew up with Hindu or whatever, that's their values. That's fine. That's who they are. But we should all be able to identify with whatever our spirituality is. You, you know, in the Bible talks, you know, Matthew 19, they're, they're talking to Christ about uh, marriage and singlehood. And, and you know, they, they talk about that, that either way, it's a blessing, whether you're married or sure. whether you're single, you know, it, it's a blessing. You know, there's a lot of stigma in society that you have to be married. And, and Christ talked about all those things even the circumstances or consequences of life, it doesn't mean you're any less blessed. And uh, I did a lot of research. In fact, I did about three to four months of research on this issue of, of being single. And by the way, my, my girlfriend, you know, um, we just broke up actually a few days ago. Oh, I'm sorry, about, about two weeks ago. 
it was the first time I was completely honest with someone and she was part of my journey, you know, of research and being single. It was difficult for her, you know, um, but she understood what was going on after a while, you know, that, Hey, you know what? I was just struggling and it had nothing to do with her. You know, no, no, if you're a sex addict or no matter what kind of addict or, you know, issue it is, you know, being single is okay. You know, it's, you're still blessed. So, uh, and, and for you, I guess sober is the best way to say it, right? How do you guys, how do you, sex addicts, is it sober? Is that the term you use? Yeah, sobriety. Yeah, sobriety. Sobri yep. Sobriety. So, which was faith. You found your sobriety through faith. Yep. I knew, and, and that was probably the, the biggest part of the, of the uh, journey. I knew I had that. I knew that it'll always be there for me. You know, the, the promises made can't, can't be broken. And I might hurt a little bit, but when you have an experience like that, a spiritual awakening, a spiritual salvations, you know, you kind of live life a little differently. You're like, it's going to be okay. You know, it might hurt a little bit. Sure. You know, it might hurt a lot, you know, but um, I know what I experienced and it's going to be there from here on out, you know, as long as I keep mine up as well, you know? Well, I, I think it set you up in a, a really cool position to help others e because so let's talk about you helping others because you built this community that has a, what around 600 uh, sex addicts you know coincidentally enough it, we had over 600 members yesterday on my day of sobriety on my uh, oh, uh sobriety right? anniversary day congratulations <laughs> we have uh, amazing yeah we have over 600 members now and uh it's growing all the time it's a great now, place. Now, a lot of people are going to probably think this is all men. No, <laughs> no, uh, it's about half women. In fact, I think it might be a little more than than um, the men, actually. Um, but it's men and women. Their struggles look different, but the same principles are there of addiction and a uh, great place to go and and uh, communicate and share, uh, whether it be victories or struggles or anything in between um what's going on with sex addiction and it's very common actually it's sex sex addiction is more common than what we think actually well it's because nobody's going to talk about it e because there's just a lot of stigma around uh sex or yep. sex addiction i i really believe this this podcast is gonna you're gonna help other people see a different side of sex addiction that they've never seen before where they can see our struggles are so in line with one another. Yours is more of a behavior where like mine was substance, but the same things, all the destruction is still going on in the mind. Right. That's right. Dopamine and serotonin and all those things. Yeah. <laughs> right. For sure. Yeah. Look at what they're doing with the pornography, man. I mean, these kids 10, what nine, 10, as soon as they can pick up a, a tablet, they can get on a website they're feeding their brains at an early age and there's a lot of money in all this stuff. You know, uh, speaking of what you just mentioned, uh, uh, younger adults or younger people, there is a really wonderful movement site called uh, fight the new drug and it, it, it's fighting pornography. So yeah, if anyone, uh, porn addiction is really, really common. And I think when it first came out, you know, it, it was just kind of viewed as kind of harmless, you know, Hey, you know, now we have access to this and, but now we know that it's doing the same thing to the brain 
And uh, again, that's called Fight the New Drug. A lot of great, great resources, especially for the younger younger uh, crowd that are uh, battling uh, porn addiction. Well, we need to get some of these links that you have up and we'll put it in a description when we get yep. done. What else would you like to talk about? I think it's really cool what you're doing with your, your Facebook group. Oh, and then I wanted to mention, we, we were talking about you and your mentors starting a podcast. We are thinking about that. And uh, we've talked a few times and uh, I'm, I'm, uh, we're both exploring that. And uh, I think it would be, I think, I think it's going to be a hit. I think people are going to, with the right guidance, um, I, I, I want to pick your brain too. Uh, let me tell you, I don't know what I'm doing. All I do, <laughs> I turn on the recorder and we talk. I've never been an orator. I've never, even in school, if they said, well, you had to speak in class, I ditched school. And mm-hmm. E, I have no idea what I'm doing. All I did was pick up my phone one day and it said record here. And that's, I started recording. And that's all well, you guys got to do is yeah, sit yeah, down yeah. and have a conversation like we're doing right now. Yeah. Um, no, I, I, I believe you, but I, I think, uh, I think you can help us at least get going, you know, in the right direction. I will and, actually do yeah. everything that I can to help you. And we'll even with on Silvertown, I'll build a page where we can, you know, share some of your links and stuff like that. So for anybody else that's struggling at, because like you mentioned before, it's just not talked about and people don't talk about it too much, do they? No, they don't. No, they don't. Um, yeah. If you guys want to check out my page on uh, Facebook, overcoming sex addiction, you know, uh, we'll, we'll get you in. You can, you can explore, um, you know, uh, what people are talking about, uh, the struggles. And, and this is both for men and women. Uh, the addictions look very different for women, but they're there. And uh, they're very common with women too. So overall, Thank you for having me on. And, and I just wish nothing but healing uh, for, you know, the people, you know, for all of us, whether we're being, you know, whether we're trying to reach sobriety or we're living in recovery, you know, and just pray for healing. Uh, amen. And then, you know, I really believe, especially with just meeting you, that you have a lot to offer a lot of people and bringing awareness because look, after meeting, I had no idea what to expect today. I don't really know about sex addiction. I know when I was a meth addict, I did a lot of crazy things that I would never even do drunk. It, yeah. Methamphetamines took me to some pretty crazy places, but I didn't know what to expect today. And I'm just so glad that I sat down with you, E. And it's just been amazing. And you're also a recovery specialist. Is that what it is? A, reco- a peer recovery specialist. Peer yeah. recovery. Tell us about that. I, I haven't really worked in that capacity, you know, uh, you know, for quite some time. Uh, and and one of the reasons is 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 exactly because of the stigma. A lot of agencies, you know, they they just won't touch sex addiction. There's some really valid reasons why. And so I've noticed that when I was able to be of service, you know, it was like, well, it was a person here, a person there, you know, and and that's good. Don't get me wrong. And I'm I'm all for that. But I. I noticed that when I created Overcoming Sex Addiction, I was like, wow, you know, there's something about this. I mean, the conversations that are happening, there's some healing happening. I found that that's where I can be of service. You know what I mean? So the next step for me, it's like, okay, well, do I want to make a living at, you know, being a peer recovery specialist? I know what I'm good at. I'm at, I'm good at, you know, coaching sex addicts, right? Because I am one myself, Right. right? I was a sex addict for 25 years. I have something to offer, but it just wasn't there. 
You know what I mean? I mean, that pe- no one wants to talk about it, you know, and again, very valid reasons why. But on the other end of the spectrum were people who are doing it like, you know, they're creating podcasts they're creating groups. They're creating, you know, this or that, you know, and I was like, aha, uh-huh, that's the way to go. You know what I mean? <laughs> so you've already built your own community. Right. You guys need a voice. And I, I really think that you could be that person too. Absolutely. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. We plan, you know, we really do plan to bring on, uh, in my mind, I'm, I'm at some point down the road anyway, you know, uh, people sharing their testimony or stories, uh, you know, twice a week, uh, maybe three times a week, uh, check-ins, check-ins is, you know, are huge, right? You know, when you're struggling in that moment, you know, and you're just like, oh God, you know, I want to be able to have that. I want to have mental health professionals specializing in sex addiction. So you want to build all of this in your community? Oh, yes, absolutely. Yes. Yeah. That's where I'm going with all this for sure. And you know what you, you know, kind of, you know, kind of help, you know, turn those wheels recently, you know what I mean? And, uh, although before I met you, um, my mentor was talking about a podcast, you know, our podcast. So when, when, when he talked about it, then you, and then I, I met you, you know, I was like, man, you know what? Universe is talking, universe is talking, you, right. know? <laughs> you know, I'm sure you get the same question, but one of the mo- a very common question on OSA is um, what do I do when the temptations are out of control? You know what I mean? And um, uh, yeah, that's exactly what I want to do is give them a resource, you know, to. Um, so what do you do? Well, you know, for me, you know, um, um, I haven't really had to engage the emergency plan for quite some time. Uh, I did, right. I did almost have, I did almost have a relapse about five months ago, five or six months ago, very near re, uh, relapse. You know, I had to just kind of, whoa, what just happened? You know, I need to get back to this, 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 or this, whatever it is, totally be honest with my girlfriend. And that was not fun, but you know, she understood it, you know, <laughs> you know, and, um, uh, spirituality is probably one of my biggest things, you know, um, that scares a lot of people, you know, so, uh, I don't want to scare anyone. Um, well, I, I just think it's a natural thing that happens when you first, you get sober and yep. then you start your recovery. And I, and I think for most people I've seen, there's a natural, there's spirituality just starts coming back, which yeah. whatever that may be, right. Yeah. They, yeah. they can figure that out for themselves. Exactly. Yeah. And that's a very unique journey. So if you're out there, you know, I I hope, you know, our conversations about uh, spirituality tonight doesn't deter you in any way, because uh, you can find a language uh, between you and your higher power, spirituality, whatever it is, that is unique to you and that that power, you know, and it just happens that way. Well, and let me say this, too. I've, I've gotten sober both ways. 2002. I had a spiritual moment on my way back to prison for the third time. And and that kept me sober for nine years. Then I relapsed and it took me nine years to get sober again. The second time I felt like God was saying, you know what? I helped you out the first time. I want you working this out for yourself this time. And I did it this time by educating myself, how my brain works, the neuroscience and how synapses, neurons, you know, liminal thinking, neuroplasticity, all of these things work. And that's helped me. We can get sober either way. Yep. Either way, it doesn't matter. So the biggest thing is we have to stop using whatever that addiction is. Otherwise, we're not going to get anywhere. That's right. 
Absolutely. Remember, everybody, pour the poison down the sink. E, thank you very much. All right, Director. Thank you so much. Uh, All right. It's been a pleasure here. All right. It's been a pleasure.